0: Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the Rapture and the Second Coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, and uh, you can tell uh, in detail where we have left off by looking at the handout that the uh, radio station has graciously provided to its listeners, and that's whcbradio.org, and look for the handout that's entitled, What Are the Differences Between the Rapture of the Church and the Second Coming of Christ? And you'll see that there are a number of points that we're making in this series on that subject. And in today's program, we're going to pick up at the beginning of point number three, point number three under Jesus comes at the rapture. So to read point number three here, it says, Jesus takes his church, his bride, which are made up of the church age believers up to heaven before the tribulation. And that period of time is called Daniel's 70th week. So we have been building from point one to point two to point three and adding uh, different attributes to the rapture and on the right-hand side, different attributes to the second coming to um, build an understanding of what these two very different events are and who they apply to, how they happened, and many other things that we'll explore during this series. But in our program today, we want to look at uh, point number three, and we want to um, make the case that it's before the tribulation and uh, get into some detail about why it's at the uh, beginning of the tribulation, and or just before the beginning of the tribulation, and not in the tribulation, which is becoming a, unfortunately, more and more popular teaching, for some reason, that I can't understand. So you can see here that we are looking at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter one is our first first reference verse, and we have looked at that before, and we will look at it again because it's a very important uh, passage in Thessalonians. Uh, in fact, both books of Thessalonians speak to the uh, the rapture and to some extent about the period of the the tribulation, but primarily uh, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians to give them a sense of confidence and comfort that they indeed had not missed the rapture of the church because they were suffering some pretty severe tribulation during that time from the Roman government where it was required to refer to the Caesar as God, as Lord, and not their God. So they were under some pretty severe persecution. So you, you might get a feeling as to why they thought <laughs> that maybe they were in the tribulation period and had indeed missed the rapture. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, one of the first things Paul does in greeting them in the first chapter is to finish the first chapter by saying, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. And there's a number of things you can parse from this that you can dig into if you wanted to, and we don't, uh, we don't have the time right now, we will later on in this series, is, you know, first thing you want to see is wait for his son. So he's being referred to here, Jesus is being referred to as the Son of God, not the Son of Man. And you recall the difference that we've uh, alluded to or spoke specifically about uh, a number of times in this series. The Son of God is coming with reward to rapture the church The Son of Man is coming back to the earth to judge the earth. And that's the uh, passages in John 5, 24 to 27, if I recall correctly, uh, to make that distinction. So it's Jesus, yes, the same person, the same man, but he's uh, manifesting two different, very distinctive attributes in his plans for mankind. And he's been raised from the dead, therefore identifying him as Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So in the Greek it's clear that this is not where he is coming to put his arms around us here on the earth and protect us from being affected by the wrath. The the Greek meaning is that we are taking out of we are being we will be removed from the wrath. So that is intended as it says several times here in Thessalonians and other uh, scriptures that Paul wrote that this is to comfort the Thessalonians, that they are not going through that terrible tribulation. All right, staying in First Thessalonians and looking at chapter 2 from our, our outline, we're looking at verse 19, and it's Paul talking about himself and his other um, minister, ministerial assistants who have been working with the Thessalonians, and he says, "'For who is our hope, our joy or crown of exaltation?' Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So you can you can see uh, from the very tenor of the words of uh, verses 19 and 20 that Paul is excited that in the presence of the Lord, we are going to have a sense of joy and our hope will become reality when we see uh, all of us standing at the bema seat of Christ to receive our rewards for what we did here on the earth. So it's their glor- glory and their joy. Uh, if this were at during or at the end of the tribulation, I really don't believe the, the um, imagery would be the same. You'll recall in Matthew 24, it said, the whole earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming because they instinctively know that God is coming in personal form of Jesus to judge them. So again, in 1 Thessalonians, let's look at the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians from our guide, and that's verse 9, chapter 5, verse 9. And it says, "...for God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ." And, you know, just a small point to to, um, vary off, if you will, hopefully not a rabbit trail, but you might say, well, obtaining salvation. Well, I obtained salvation when I was saved, when I was two years old, when you were five, seven, or maybe an adult, or maybe later in your life when you were saved by the Lord. But remember that salvation is not a one-point-in-time event. that's your justification, but your salvation is part of sanctification. You were saved at that point. You are being saved as you are being made more and more like Christ uh, through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life, but you will be totally saved when you see Jesus Christ face to face. So when it says there that the, um, in verse nine, that obtaining salvation is, uh, is when we're going to see him face to face. And that will be in heaven, totally physically separated from the wrath that is taking place on the earth at that time. All right, let's look at another passage that is written by Paul. And if you'll move to the right from Thessalonians to Timothy, he wrote First uh, and Second Timothy to his disciple, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and what's uh, particularly pertinent about this, this was one of the last words, if you will, this last chapter, and the words in that chapter uh, are the last thing he wrote before he was um, martyred for his faith uh, by the Romans. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 18, it says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So it's clear from that passage that he expects to be rescued. And of course, from those evil deeds that are happening on the earth, because the church is not there to stop it. So there's every sort of evil deed. He will be rescued from it and that he will be brought safely. In other words, he's not going to be harmed in any way, brought safely. And where? to the heavenly kingdom of God where Jesus has prepared a place for him as well as a place for us. So it's clear that this is not an earthly kingdom. This is a heavenly kingdom that we're being taken to at the point in time of the rapture. So again, another very comforting uh, statement from Paul that he passes to uh, Timothy right at the end of Paul's life. So if Paul was ever serious and wanted to get a serious point across, uh, I think he'd try to do that at the very end of his life as he's writing this last uh, book, 2 Timothy, to the world, and he wants to know the world, wants the world to know that he, along with us, will be rescued. All right, let's look at uh, Revelation. Let's look at the last one here before I take us to the Old Testament to show you something. Uh, that, frankly, I just recently uh, discovered for myself. And that is Revelation chapter 3. And this is where the seven churches are being described by John the Revelator, the same John that wrote the the Gospel, John, and 1st and 2nd, 3rd John. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, it says, "...because you kept the word of my perseverance..." I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. So he's going to test their works, and of course we'll talk, we've talked, and we'll talk again about the uh, the testing of our works, uh, whether it be be, be the, with the Lord or um, not with the Lord, in in terms of the unrighteous. Unrighteous will all be tested. Um, some at the Bema seat for the church, uh, others at the sheep and goat judgment, others at the great white throne. So there's a number of testing. So we will be kept from the hour of testing that will come upon the whole world. So the world is going to be tested separate from the church. We will be in heaven being tested for how we, what we did in terms of serving the Lord with our gifts. The world will be tested for all of the unrighteousness in their life, the sinfulness and the lawlessness. So uh, we will be rescued from that. Okay, let's um, go from the last book way back into approximately the middle of the Bible, and you'll find Psalms. We're looking for Isaiah. We're looking for the book of Isaiah. There's 66 chapters in Isaiah, and we're looking for 57. Isaiah 57. And in verses uh, 1 and 2, this is what uh, you can call a type and shadow, a reference. It has a, an immediate application for a circumstance. It can have a longer term or it can have a way into the future application. And I believe this has a way into the future application for describing basically the, the rapture of the church and how the world living on the earth at the time of the rapture uh, would understand the rapture. Because remember, no one other than the church sees Jesus and sees the rapture taking place. All the world will notice is that a number of people have disappeared without explanation. So look at Isaiah 57 chapters 1 and 2. And it says, the righteous man perishes and no man takes it to heart. So you see the distinction. Let me step out here of the, of the scripture And comment for a moment, the righteous man differentiated from the other man. You have a righteous man and an unrighteous man. So the righteous man perishes and no man takes it to heart. And devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from evil. Verse 2, he enters into peace. They rest in their beds or, or, or graves, as it has a shorter-term application here. In terms of history, righteous people go to their graves waiting to be taken to heaven. Uh, but in terms of the rapture, uh, they are taken away into peace, which would be to heaven. Each one who walked in his upright way. So he's talking about in the world— When the righteous man is taken away, the world certainly gives the strong impression, if not the fact they don't understand, they really don't care. I mean, they'd like to know out of curiosity, but hey, these guys, these gals are gone. Now, you know, I know they were a little different. They kept talking about Jesus and so forth. But I think at that point in time, uh, when the church is taken out of the way and evil is allowed to run absolutely rampant in the world, that they're going to put a a spin on it—the aliens have abducted them, or some such nonsense—but they will not take it to heart. They will not understand. They will not notice when, in Isaiah fifty-seven one, the righteous man is taken away from evil. So again, that's the point. Just as Paul told Timothy in uh, in our outline there at Second Timothy four eighteen that he is taken from and will not see evil. So I thought that's that's a wonderful passage from 600 years before Christ even walked the earth that uh, the Lord was, was uh, working through his Holy Spirit, through Isaiah, to give us a sense of comfort about how righteous man will be taken care of and kept from evil um, in whatever circumstances there are. All right, looking at our outline here. Let's let's move in and let's take some time and look at Daniel chapter 9. Now, the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, we're in Isaiah, so if you would um, move to the right through Jeremiah and then Jeremiah's writing of Lamentations, you get into Ezekiel, who was a contemporary of Daniel, as was Jeremiah at the time of the Babylonian sieges and captivity, and move to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel was one of the great prophets uh, of the Old Testament, and Daniel in chapter 9 gives us one of the great prophecies of the entire Bible because it talks about what is going to happen to Israel uh, during the um, time of the Messiah's first coming when he's crucified. Uh, It prophesies that. And remember, Daniel was written almost 600 years, 550 or so years before Christ even walked the earth. So this was a magnificent long-term prophecy. And he is giving uh, given this prophecy through the angel Gabriel, and then it starts talking about how the tribulation is laid out, and it gives us the marker in time of when the tribulation would start. So let's read Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Verse 24, 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint The most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and sixty two weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then, after the sixty two weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. Verse 27, and he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So um, there is just an amazing amount of information included in those verses, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, that we could spend a whole series, in fact, we probably will, spend a whole series just focusing on this and then letting the rest of the scriptures that God has given us through the Holy Spirit and these 40-plus authors to help help us unpack what all this means. But the main thing I want you to understand is that for purposes of this series, uh, 70 weeks, and we don't have the time to get into all the details here, but basically that ends up meaning 490 years 70 weeks of sevens, 490 years. And he is saying that this applies to Israel. He says this is for your people and your holy city. Well, your holy city is is, is, uh, Jerusalem. And he is talking about a period of time of 69 weeks. Verse 26 says, then after 62 weeks, so there's Uh, Seven weeks in verse 25 and 62 weeks, a total of 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. And we know that from the issuing of the decree, which we find in Nehemiah chapter 2, that's in the month of Nisan in 445 BC, that we come forward the 69 weeks. It takes us to the crucifixion week of the Messiah. And uh, so we have the end of the 69 weeks, and there's yet a week left, and that week in verse 27 is what we're going to focus on uh, as we um, look into our next program. But right now, we want to take a, a question from a listener in our audience here, and uh, consequently, we'll pick up our, our series there about the um, covenant in Daniel nine twenty-seven in our next program. We have a question from Roger in Kingsport. And Roger asks, when we die before the rapture, where do our spirits go? Hmm. Where do our spirits go when we die before the rapture? Great question, Roger. Uh, When our bodies die before the rapture, our spirits go to be in the presence of the Lord and where is the Lord? He's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. So just to make that point clear, let's look at Ephesians 2 first to make sure we understand where Jesus is right now. When Jesus ascended into heaven, that was Acts chapter 1, you recall, and they said um, the angel said, he's going up and will come back the same way. He was going up to sit at the right hand of the Father. And if we go to the book of Ephesians, which is... Um, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, uh, Galatians, and Ephesians, and we go to chapter 1, and it says in chapter 1, verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So we see that God raised Jesus from the dead in his omnipotent power and seated him at his right hand. So that's where Jesus is today, waiting for the Heavenly Father to tell him to go get his bride, which is the church, and bring her to heaven, to the home that Jesus has built for them, Matthew, or Matthew, John 14, 1 through 3. So let's look at 2 Corinthians to make the point here that we're in the presence of the Lord in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Second Corinthians chapter 5, it says uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, verse 9, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him verse 10 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad so the point uh, here of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in these verses is that uh, our spirits go to be with the, with Jesus the moment that we die if we die before the rapture so when our when the rapture takes place those that have died before the rapture come back to the earth uh, or in the sky towards the earth with the Lord, and that's 1 Thessalonians 3, 13. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians. So we're in 2nd Corinthians, so just a little bit to the right there, and you'll find 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and looking at verse 13 it says so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints so what he's saying is he's he's telling them the rapture is something that we want to look forward to that we should be we'll be blameless and holy before him when he comes and when he comes he'll come with the uh, people who's um, who have died in the Lord and their spirits have gone to heaven he's bringing their spirits back with him so look over in chapter 4 of first Thessalonians and look at verse 14For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus so you can see that um, our spirits go to heaven when we die if we have, believed in Jesus Christ and have died before the rapture comes and that we are told in 1 Thessalonians 3:13 and then in 1 Thessalonians 4:14 4, that our spirits come back with him in the air and then our bodies are our, our spirits are joined up with our bodies so that we are whole and complete. And I think it's interesting First uh, Thessalonians we were in four let's go to five and look what he says, Paul tells us in verse 23 of 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, "Now may God, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass." So here he is confirming that our spirits will be uh, matched up with our bodies when he comes back in the air for his church and that we will be made complete. Uh, Our bodies will be transformed from mortal into immortal, from perishable into imperishable so that we can then rule and reign with the Lord on the earth for a thousand years. And that's in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26 so let's uh, let's look at that point. Revelation chapter 2, it's a wonderful passage of confirmation to the church. He says in 26, He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father and I will give him the morning star. So he's confirming that we will rule and reign with him for a thousand years on the earth. What a wonderful thought that is. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.